0: Here's your host, Kevin Warren. Tom Brenneman was on the top of his game as a sports broadcaster for radio and TV, having done Major League Baseball, NFL, and college football for major networks. Then in August of 2020, while announcing a Cincinnati Reds game and thinking his microphone was off, He said a word that is considered a homophobic slur, and his career was almost instantly over. But the author of The Word has helped Tom not be derailed in his faith by that one word. I started my conversation by asking him about early life.
1: Well, I have a a sister who's a year younger than me. Uh, My mom and dad were both going to the University of North Carolina uh, and were married very, very young. Uh, Had my sister and me their junior and senior years there. And, uh, you know, my dad was trying to work his way up like everybody in this life, and, and you bounce town to town. And, he, you know, we went from a number of small towns in North Carolina, Salisbury, North Carolina is the one that I have the most memories of. And then my dad, really, his first big break was to go be a broadcaster in the old ABA for the Virginia Squires and also announce the New York Mets AAA team in Norfolk, Virginia. And my dad was from that area. My mom was from Richmond, Virginia. And so when we moved to Virginia, we all of a sudden were surrounded by a lot of family uh, on both sides. And it was an incredible experience and loved living in Virginia Beach. And then uh, in 1974, uh, my dad got the job with the Cincinnati Reds. And so we picked up the family in 1974. And off we went to Cincinnati and, and stayed right there all the way through high school and and I couldn't have asked for a, a better place to grow up.
0: Well, I certainly have a fondness for Ohio as that's where my wife uh, grew up in uh, in Huber Heights area. Wow. So uh, let me ask you about sports and how, you know, that factored into your life at a younger age.
1: Well, when I was younger, I played them all. And then when I got into high school, uh, the high school in the area where we lived in, in Cincinnati, uh, was one of the big soccer uh, programs in the state of Ohio. And my freshman year, we had a chance to play in a state championship game. I, I spent all of that game on the bench as a freshman. But nonetheless, it was an incredible experience. My favorite of all of them by far was basketball. and uh, And I really enjoyed playing that in high school. I broke my leg uh in my junior year um sled riding at a friend's house over Christmas break and that wiped out my junior year of playing basketball and, and in the high school I went to again we had we had the best basketball team in the state of Ohio, I would argue to this day, certainly the best in Cincinnati. And uh and I would have had a chance I think to play my senior year as a six man, seventh man off the bench. Uh but by the time the senior year came around I broke broken the femur, and it was a really, back in those days, that was a really tough kind of injury to try and come back from. I don't use that as an excuse. I wasn't really any good in any of them. But I certainly enjoyed playing them. And I think you learn so much from them and playing them and, and, and teamwork and toughness and, and all those kinds of commitment, all those kinds of things. And so I, I really enjoyed playing sports. And still do now, very, very much. I mean, it's a d- When you get to be my age now, it's more pickleball than anything else, but
0: that's about it. I understand. I had to give up basketball when I hit my late 50s, and I hated it. Now, really, it's just golf and a little bit of pickleball, so I get that. Let me ask you about growing up in the Brenneman household. Were you church-going every Sunday, or, or when did you get introduced to your faith?
1: Well, you know, when when we moved, as I brought up earlier, when we moved from North Carolina, and we were so little, I I don't remember very much about it, but I do remember going to church regularly uh, when we lived in Salisbury, North Carolina. And then when we moved to Virginia Beach, uh, my dad's mom and dad uh, lived a couple of towns down the road from us, and they were very serious uh, church-going folks. It's interesting, though, uh, they were married for almost 60 years, and they never went to the same church on Sundays. Uh, my my grandfather was a Episcopalian. My grandmother was a Southern Baptist, and so they never went to church together on Sundays. And so my sister and me would pick uh, which one we were going to go with, and we would go regularly. My mom would go. My dad was frequently working, um, you know, either on a Sunday out of town or a Saturday night out of town, didn't make it back on Sunday, whatever it might be. But yes, we started going regularly, and and then when we moved to Cincinnati, we started going regularly. But my folks uh, separated and eventually got divorced, and um, and you know my, my mom would would take us uh, as frequently as she could. She was working two three jobs, uh, and, and so we sort of, or I sort of, for lack of a better term, slipped you know off the radar. I don't think that there was ever a fraction of a second where ever lost. My faith or belief in 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 God and Jesus Christ as our Savior, but but I wasn't going to church regularly, and those were really really difficult times for uh, our family. When you know, back in those days, back in the the 1970s, um, it's very very different then than it is now as far as child custody, child custody hearings uh things like that it was a very ugly divorce and, and i missed an entire year of school um because i was old enough to go down and start testifying and you're sitting down there in a in a, in a courtroom and trying to you know your mom's sitting on one side your dad's sitting on the other and you're having to look at both of them and pick, pick which one you want to live with so you know it was a it was a turbulent time and uh but but you know what you got to find a way uh and 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 all thanks and praise be to god you got to find a way to get through it you got to keep going uh and you can't use it as an excuse um and so i you know i there's no doubt that even though i was not going to church regularly there's no doubt in my mind uh, that that god was the reason that i got through it
0: i have been in broadcasting uh since i started college back in the late Seventies, I got into it uh, at the small school uh, that I went to, a uh, Christian school in, in Oklahoma City, and have been in broadcasting to some degree every year but but one year since then. But none of my kids gravitated towards radio. And so it's interesting, though, that you followed in your dad's footsteps, Marty, who spent, what, 40—I'm trying to do the math in my head—
1: 47 years.
0: 47 years as the voice of the Cincinnati Reds. When did you decide that that's what you wanted to do professionally, was to get into broadcasting?
1: Not until I was uh, roughly at the end of my freshman year in college. Uh, I was going to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. The OU, I might add, and, uh, and uh, because we actually use it the way we say it at Ohio University, not OU and the University of Oklahoma. I say that tongue-in-cheek. But, um, you know, I, uh, my parents and I had an agreement um, that if I was going to be one of the fortunate kids where I did not have to take out a student loan to go to college, Uh, that since they were paying for it that all of my money that i spent at college whether it was going on a date where i was going to have a beer whatever it might be that was going to be my money and i was never going to you know call home and ask for money because it wasn't coming uh so um i only bring that up because uh, i had to work all the way through college so i was a bartender my freshman year and then and at the end of my freshman year i I used to I used to work every summer down in North Carolina and live with my grandparents, my dad's mom and dad down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. They had moved down there by then, um, and and I was in the car and I was driving through West Virginia uh, by myself, and and I just remember turning on the radio and uh, Don Cricky, the old NBC legendary play-by-play guy, happened to be doing some NBC radio sports update on some affiliate in the middle of West Virginia. Uh, and he was talking about something that had happened the night before in baseball and in college basketball or something. And, and I, I remember thinking to myself, man, you know, uh, And this was pre ESPN and all that kind of stuff, you know? So it wasn't like you were just infiltrated. There was no internet, there was no computers There was none of that kind of stuff. So, you know, whatever sports wise you learned about, you heard about it on a radio, read about it in the newspaper. Well, I was already, you know, five hours in the drive. And, um, and remember thinking, man, it's the first time I can remember in a long time waking up and something that significant, whatever it was, happening in baseball, and I didn't already know about it. So I thought, you know what, maybe I ought to uh, to look into doing this. And so uh, I called my dad, and in Athens, Ohio, uh, where Ohio University is, it's one of the uh, Reds radio affiliates that carried all the games. And he knew the owner of the station, and um, and it was a commercial station. It wasn't through the university. And, you know, the guy said, hey, look, if you want to come here and try to start learning the business and all that kind of thing, we'd love to have him. I came there. I wasn't on the air. I was uh, back in the days of records. You know, I was I was doing a lot of the, the, you know, sort of secretarial work of how long the intro was on a song for DJs to know. And I eventually started DJing on an FM station at night, a.m., all the while getting paid. And then the first sports thing really came around because the Ohio University men's basketball teams had had a number of really good teams in a row and gone to the NCAA tournament. And the women's team had gone two years in a row. And so we were the flagship station, and the guy on the station decided to start doing the women's games, uh, the home games. And he asked me if I wanted to do them. And that's really where the, the sports side of it uh, really took off.
0: That's <laughs> awesome story. I, I'm, I'm looking to, uh, Tom, Uh, You know, back at, at your dad and when he was with Cincinnati back in the in the mid 70s, right in the middle of the big red machine. And I can't imagine unless they didn't allow you to do it, that you were able to walk around that Reds locker room with the Johnny Benches and the Pete Roses and the Dave
1: Concepcion all those guys. Well, you know, it's funny, Uh, before we had moved to Cincinnati, and my dad was announcing the old ABA, and there aren't a lot of people around, you're old enough to remember, but there aren't a lot of people around that are old enough to remember the ABA, the American Basketball Association, four of the teams wound up folding into the NBA uh, that we know today. But when my dad was announcing for the Virginia Squires, um, they had three players on that team, one of them was Doctor J Julius Irving. Mm-hmm. The other one was George Gervin. Two <laughs> Hall of Famers, two arguably, you know, two of the top fifty players of all time. I had his and ice the man had poster. Scott. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then the other guy was Charlie Scott, who was the first African American basketball player at the University of North Carolina. Great player, one of the top one hundred players of all time. And so, you know, I was a ball boy for the visiting team of the Squires, and and so when I was ten. Ten years old, you know. I'm going to the basketball arena every night, and um, and and I'm working in the visiting locker room. And so back in those days, like the Kentucky Colonels had Artis Gilmore and Dan Issel, two more basketball Hall of Famers. Every team had you know different guys, Marvin Barnes from the St. Louis Spirit, and all these guys. And then when we go to Cincinnati, my dad gets a job at seven in '74, and we go to spring training in Florida. Um, and my mom and sister and I weren't going to move to Cincinnati until school got out in June. But in March, we went to spring training, uh, and the Reds were in Tampa back in those days. And I walked in the locker room with my dad. The first four people I met were Pete Rose, Johnny Ben, Joe Morgan, and Tony Perez. <laughs> now, as fate would have it, I was around those guys regularly um, for the next number of years. And, and, and now fast forward, think about this for a minute. I mean, if this isn't God at work, I don't know what is God at work, right? Fast forward, that was in 1974. In 1988, 14 years later, I am broadcasting the Reds games on television with Johnny Betch and Pete Rose is the manager of the team. <laughs> now think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you talk about looking around and pinching yourself and you know, uh, thank God for every single second. You, you just can't even believe it. And, uh, and, and that's what happened.
0: Yeah. In the early nineties, you did Chicago Cubs TV. And of course, Harry Carey, uh, was, uh, a part of the broadcast crew yep. for radio and, and television. Uh, how many years did you get to work with, with Harry Carey?
1: I worked with Harry every day for six years. Um, you know, when when I was on the radio, he was on the TV. He and I would flip-flop in the middle of the game. I would go to television with Steve Stone for the middle three innings, and he would do the radio with Ron Santo and Bob Brindley, uh the middle three, and then we'd flip back one more time for the final three. So I was around Harry for six years pretty much every single day, going starting in spring training every year until October.
0: I've got to ask you, because most of us who have – been a broadcast partner with a legend who has a very distinct delivery can you do a good Harry Carey imitation
1: I I cannot I cannot but I can tell you uh everybody and his brother was trying to do one back in those days and a lot of them are still trying to do it and uh but you know I'm so grateful for um for him coming into my life I had lost my grandfather uh, the first year I started in Chicago, and we were very, very close, and and, and and I had shared that with Harry in spring training. We went to dinner one night, and he pretty much took it upon himself because he had no family in the area. I mean, Harry Carey grew up an orphan uh, in St. Louis, and uh, he had a hard time with family. Um, you know, he's divorced a couple of times. Uh, he and his son, Skip, um, did not appear to me anyway, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, did not appear to be all that close. Um, Harry was very fond of his grandson Chip who went on to become a broadcaster but Chip was living down in Atlanta and, and um, you know Harry wasn't around him much and so Harry uh, in many many ways adopted me for lack of a better term as his grandson and you know Harry loved going out you know drinking Budweiser and all that kind of thing he knew people in every single city restaurant owners, bar owners, whatever it might be uh, and he'd ask me to go out you know, with him virtually every night during the baseball season we were on the road not not, not much the same at home because we were playing day games but at night um I, I was just so grateful uh to be around him uh he was just so full of life and and it was just an amazing guy to be around uh, he was just such an incredible guy to be around and i and I, and, I, and i'm i'm I I think about him frequently even now and he's been gone for, you know, 20 25 years.
0: Was it kind of irritating to you that most of the time when people would do an impersonation of him, they would they would act like he was inebriated?
1: Well, you know, it's funny you asked that question because um you know, Harriet had a stroke um in 1988. And I started in 1990, came back in 89. And that was really the first time that you started to notice some of the the slurred speech, which a lot of people assumed. And look, he earned the reputation. He was a big drinker, loved drinking. But in the six years I was around him and that was every single game. It wasn't like once a week. I never saw him one time drink a beer during a game. Now, you know, a lot of people assumed that he was sitting up there, and, and and I wish I had a nickel for every time people, oh, he must have been up there, hammered up there in the booth. That, that was just simply not the case. Uh, I think it was uh, a direct uh, correlation to the stroke that he had. He had a hard time uh, saying S's. So, you know, he'd say things like, uh, you know, end of the third inning, the Cub lead the Cardinal 3-2. to two, mm-hmm. Instead of the Cubs lead the Cardinal. You know, and, and and so, you know, it there was a long time there that it really did bother me, that it seemed like every time. And, I mean, look, he was being impersonated by guys on Saturday Night Live all the time. Will Ferrell was doing that bit. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it often, if not always, portrayed him as being the town drunk. Now, he loved drinking after the games, but he was not drinking during the games. Yeah,
0: After the Cubs, man, you you kind of were on a fast track. Tom uh, Brenneman was... Now hired by Fox, you're doing NFL, you're doing Major League uh, Baseball, you're doing college football, college basketball. You were the first television voice of the Diamondbacks. Uh, and in the, in the uh, early 2000s, Bowl Championship Series broadcast, BCS National Championship games, Fiesta Bowls. I mean, you were, you were doing all of it, and, and you were on this track, you know, to be a lead voice for all these networks, and you were. You were the lead for the Big Ten Network uh, for college football at one time as well. Um, And then you decided uh, at one point to to go back to Cincinnati and and join your dad uh, on those broadcasts. What brought that change about?
1: Well, you know, you you have decisions to make in life. And and, and some of them, um, you know, uh, you know, some of them you wonder if you did the right thing. Um, and, you know, I had met my wife. I did not get married until I was 38 years old. Um, I mean, all those events you were talking about me doing, I was on the road all the time. Um, and had just not met the right one. And I finally did meet the right one. We were two of the first 25 people that uh, were working for the Diamondbacks two years before the team started playing. She was a born-and-raised Arizona girl, went to college back in the Midwest at Notre Dame, and then came back uh, to Arizona uh, to work. And we were both there. We got married in Arizona. Our kids were born in Arizona. Our kids were baptized in Arizona. And they were very, very young, I think three and one, something like that at the time. And the opportunity came up to come back to Cincinnati. And, you know, it, 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 it was a big move for my wife. Um uh, to this day, you know, I, although I think she certainly would tell you that, that it was a better place at the end of the day for our kids to grow up in the Midwest. Life's a lot slower than it is where we were living in, you know, greater Phoenix. A lot of California people were moving down. Things were getting really fast. It was growing really fast. There was a lot going on. So that was a big move for her. Um, but what I, what I didn't understand when I moved back, is that my dad was at the in the last number of years of a very, very unhappy marriage. He had been married to his second wife for 20, 25, 26 years, and, and, and he was a mess. And he was really unpleasant to be around. And when we got back, you know, I, I, we got to Cincinnati, I thought to myself, what in the world are we doing here? This is brutal. It's miserable. I didn't like it. I like the town. I like living there, but I just didn't like the the whole vibe of the thing and and thankfully um, you know thankfully that started to change shortly thereafter uh, and then I was able to be around him he eventually uh, got divorced from his second wife and then they should have been divorced Um, I hate saying that but it's the truth and he's a happier he became such a happier guy to be around a more pleasant guy to be around I got much closer to him than I had at any point in time in my life I was around for his final year three years ago, uh, and I wouldn't trade that for the world, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, the, the upbringing that uh, that our kids have been able to have living where we live here. I, I just think you know, there are a lot of great places. You can raise great kids and bad kids anywhere, but but uh, C- Cincinnati a, a, is a really good place for your kids to grow up, and I'm thankful that they're happy and healthy and doing well.
0: Before we move on, I do want to mention uh, a guy that you and I both actually worked with at one time back in the early 2000s. Uh, Jim Traber, who is the yeah. afternoon host uh, on our network, was your color analyst for a couple of seasons there in Arizona. And he's the one that actually connected us. And so I'm thankful uh, to Jim, who I also did a podcast with uh, on suit up as well. So let's fast forward uh, Tom to, to, to uh, August of 2020. You're, yeah. you're doing Cincinnati Reds baseball. Uh, it's a doubleheader between the Reds and the Royals. And If we've been in this business long enough, we are all caught with a hot mic that we didn't know was hot. That happened to me, actually, very early in my career. And uh, so kind of go through, if you don't mind, what happened as soon as you realized that that was heard by a lot of folks.
1: Well, you know, look, I mean, we were were in a commercial break, uh, as you mentioned, doing game one of a doubleheader. We were doing the game out of a studio because of uh, COVID at the time. So we weren't traveling with a team. And I was sitting in a studio, uh, kidding around with a couple of other guys that are in there. And, and I flippantly used a homophobic slur. I've never had a homophobic bone in my body. There's not been a drop of homophobic blood that runs through my veins. But I said it. And so there are a lot of people that think I'm a homophobe. And they have reason to think that. And that's their decision. Uh, but I'm not. But I said it, and, you know, I, I had no idea it had gone out. Uh, the first game came to an end. Uh, I walked back into one of the cubicles in the Fox Sports Ohio offices there where we were doing the games, and I get a text message from my boss. And he says, "Just this just went out on the Internet, and this is bad. And I pushed the button, um, and I heard it, and I'm like, well, this is really bad. And, and you got to remember, you know, this is at the time when the George Floyd riots and, and, the, and, the, and the killing and all that kind of thing is going on. There's, there's, there's a, there's an edge about the country. Um, um, that, that, that had not been around in a long, long time. Um, and you know, all of a sudden we, we start the second game. Um, this thing now has gone you know, viral as the young people say. And, um, and, you know, I think about the third inning, um, somebody says in my ear, they said, hey, look, uh, you, you got to get off the air. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting off the air until I can apologize. And so I started into an apology, which was really, really tough, because here you are on live television. You're doing the best you can to piece all this thing together. Uh, you feel awful about what you said, who you may have hurt. Uh, and all these kinds of things, and, and you also know in the back of your mind that, that this is going to be the end. Now, to what extent it's going to be the end, you don't know, but you know it's going to be the end for a while. So I start to apologize, and I get partly through it, and then my sort of natural instinct of broadcasting sporting events for 30-something years just kicks into gear when one of the Reds players, Nick Castellanos, hits a home run to left field. And I described the home run in the middle of an apology. Well, that has since taken on an entire life of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's become it's become a a running joke uh, all over the internet. Um, and and you know, sadly, um, uh, there are a lot of people that that's the only thing that they're ever going to know about my career. Now, do I lose sleep over that at night? No, but do I wish it was different? Yeah, I do. Um, so. Um, I, I apologize. I walk out the door of the studio. I get a call from the owner of the Reds. He says to me, Hey, look, we know what kind of guy you are. Uh, you've been around here, you know, forever. Uh, you got a track record. Um, this is all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. Well, I got in the car and I'm driving home and I called my wife and I told her what the owner of the team said. And then I said to her, I have a feeling by the time I get home, which is going to be in about 15 or 20 minutes, that he will change his tune just because of the whole environment in the country and everything that was going on. And, 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 and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So by the time I got back home, I had been suspended for the rest of the season. I woke up the next morning. I had been fired from Fox um, from doing the NFL. We were two and a half weeks away for me starting my 26th year broadcasting the NFL on Fox. Um, fired from that. I uh, was doing some commercial work for different companies in Cincinnati. Fired from all of those. Um, and so, you know, um, it was, uh, professionally speaking, it's indescribable. You're, you're just in a state of shock. But there's a part of you that says, well, you know, th- th- this is going to be okay. This is, this is, you know, and I said to my wife, I said, this is God's plan. The best, can be the best thing that ever happened to us. Uh, and on many levels, it was the best thing that ever happened to us. So I had a daughter who was a senior in high school. The following year, I got to go to every single event in her senior year that some of them I would have missed. I got to be around for the graduation. I got to be around to move her to college down at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, my son is, a, is an outstanding lacrosse player, goalie. Uh, and he became a starter of our high school team the sophomore year team won a state championship I got to go to every single minute of every single game um, and you know I, I kept thinking sooner or later I'm gonna get another chance to get back and broadcast again well that that hasn't happened and um, you know it tests your uh, it tests your faith it tests um, your belief in, in, in your fellow man, um, you know about the ability to forgive. Uh, um, you know, I think to myself, boy, uh, you know, all these these people in the you know network television world or even local television world, uh, the local teams, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it is, you know, you you start to wonder. Well, I guess none of them ever made a mistake. Because, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't a perfect broadcaster. I certainly was not the perfect human being for, for forever and even now, every single day of my life. But I, until that moment, I have been broadcasting Major League Baseball for 32 years and the NFL for 25 years. And not one time did my employer ever wake up in the morning and read about me doing something in the newspaper that would have embarrassed them or their organization or their franchise or whatever it might be. And hear, you know, one word. Um it certainly changed everything and, and still has
0: so on the two year anniversary of that uh just a few months ago um in 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 reflection, because I know as soon as something happens sometimes that's that's the road to take which i'm I was going to ask you about, and I don't have to ask you about that because you said, hey th- you know God may have something bigger and greater in in store for me for us uh but now two yep. years later are you still able to to keep that faith and keep leaning on that idea uh, that you may never be a big time broadcaster again
1: it, it 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 without a doubt it tests your faith it tests your faith in and, and y- y- you know look uh, they, they, they called Thomas in the Bible doubting Thomas. He, he was never called in the Bible doubting Thomas. He was just asking questions you know uh, of Jesus and, and asking you know this or that or that whatever it might be and and there are days and there are moments where you certainly um, question God and, I, and, and and when I say that I don't you know I don't mean that in any form or fashion in a blasphemous way and, and I don't believe that God feels that way either. I really don't. Um, you know, he has a plan, and, um, and I believe in that plan. But there are moments, and I don't care who you are or how great your strength, I have to believe there are moments when everybody kind of says, man, is this going to change? And look, mine wasn't in any form or fashion, you know, as my kids like to say, it, those are third-world problems because they really are. Um I made a lot of money for a long time. Was very successful for a long time. My family wasn't going to have a hard time putting food on the table. We were still going to be able to send our kids to college. We lived in a beautiful house in a beautiful neighborhood and all those kinds of things. So my family wasn't starving. I wasn't starving. Um but you know you you you, you really it's there are days where you're just like, Lord, when is this you know going to change, or is it never going to change? And, and and the thing I'm you know among everything that I'm so grateful for uh, is that I have finally come to the realization by the grace of God that if I never broadcast another big time sporting event again, I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with it. I've done some high school football here in Cincinnati. I'm doing a talk show now that's streaming every single day. It keeps me busy, it keeps my mind occupied. I'm able to go do something. Um, is it what I used to do? No. Um, is it ever going to be what I used to do? I don't know. But, but I do know that I am grateful for still everything, um, that, that me and my family ha- have been blessed with. And I never, ever, ever take those things for granted. Never.
0: Well I'm going to ask you bluntly Tom actually given name Thomas which I thought was interesting you bring up Thomas out of the Bible <clears throat> that's actually your first full name. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for you the direction that you would like for me to because we all know there's nothing wrong with you wanting to get back into the booth again.
1: You know what I and 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 I can't tell you how much I appreciate that but but, but that's not what what I mean you know that's not what I want people to pray for. I really don't. Um, I want people to pray for those people in this world and children who are wondering about their faith and do they how in the world they're going to literally make their next step, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Those are the things I care about. I don't want anybody out there. I appreciate it. But... I don't need anybody doing that for me. I appreciate that, though, very, very much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, listen,
0: you're welcome, and I'm going to do both. I'm going to honor your request. Okay, fair enough. That's fair enough. I'm going to honor your request, but as a broadcaster myself, I know what that means, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray for that for you as well. Listen, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, this world can be cruel, at times, and, and you've seen the highs and the lows of it in, in a lot of different ways. I appreciate what you said here on this podcast uh, about how it your faith may have been shaken to a degree, but you landed on your feet in the middle of that faith to be able to carry you through to now. And I appreciate those Amen. thoughts.
1: God is great, my friend. And I pray for you and your family and your listeners out there. And I pray you guys have a great rest of your day and a great tomorrow.
0: My thanks to Thomas Tom Brenneman for being willing to tell his story on this podcast. Our prayer is for Tom to be able to return to a big-time broadcast booth if that's what the Lord wants for him. For more stories like Tom's, go to the Suitup website, suitup611.com.